Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man, he's not my cup of tea, it's Richard Herring! Adelaide, hello! Welcome uh, to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But you know, the other day I was talking to... uh, uh, some of uh, John Robbins and Ellis James' PCDs. Uh, pretty, pretty cool lot of people, I think you will agree. And not sad idiots who like a pair of losers. And they, um, they call it Renaissance. I don't know if that's, that's going to catch up. So I genuinely, had, I was very excited. I'd written a brilliant uh, routine. I'd kind of typed it up. It was on my phone. And then my phone literally just deleted it just as I was about to come on stage. I can't, I genuinely can't believe that. The attachment's gone. Uh, so <laughs> I just have to do what I usually do and dick around. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you saw in the news, uh, as we were recording this the week before, uh, Cheddar Man is back in the news. Yeah, the worst superhero of all time. <laughs> he was bitten by a radioactive piece of cheese. And his superpower is that he... Gets a bit sweaty if he isn't in a fridge. Uh, So, um... That's all I can remember from that brilliant routine I wrote. (laughs) Having looked at it, the exciting thing is, you may know uh, that Cheddar Man, um, they did a DNA test on this... There's a skeleton they found in... uh, in Cheddar Caves in 1906, uh, and uh, it's 10,000 years old, and uh, it's still the most famous person to ever come out of Cheddar... (laughs) It's never had a BBC Two series, but still internationally known Skellington uh, is still the most famous. Uh, and uh, ten, about 20 years ago, they discovered, they did a DNA test and discovered it was related to my history teacher, Mr. Target, who lives 100 yards from Cheddar Caves, so his family have moved that far <laughs> in 10,000 years' time. But more excitingly... Um, this time they've discovered, uh, maybe seen it, that uh, he probably was, uh, was dark-skinned. He had blue eyes, dark skin. Um, though I have to say, looking at him, uh, kind of slightly weird colouring. And I did sort of worry that uh, he's like all the Cheddar residents in the 1980s on Halloween. Uh, just, uh, just there's a little cheeky glint in his eye and he's smiling. The blue eyes staring from much too orange... So it's good to see that that's, that tradition lasted 10,000 years. Stop now, they wouldn't do that in Cheddar now. That, was, that would be inappropriate. Uh, good. Shame I didn't have that to read out. It would have gone better. So, uh, so let's... I wrote it so beautifully. I'll, uh, I'll just uh, find it and, uh, and, and put that over the top. So it'll be fine. Anyway, my guest this week uh, is probably best known. You're much better than last week's audience, by the way is probably best known as the programme associate on one episode of Harry Hill's TV birth. She's not the only one. It's Danielle Ward, ladies and gentlemen! Come in. Sit down. You don't have to. I didn't do it to John and Ellis. I was just very happy to see you. Uh, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. Good, I'm, I'm very good. Cool. Oh, these are very deep, aren't they? I was, uh, I was a programme associate on uh, Harry Hill's TV, but for one episode as well. How did you manage it? Uh, I didn't like it, it was too hard. But how did you, well, uh, why did you get the job of programme associate? Because uh, I'm extremely funny and they wanted me to be involved. I'll tell you how I got that. How did you get it? I was um, sleeping with one of the writers <laughs> <laughs> and on a Sunday morning he made me watch Casualty and I, made, I came up with one joke okay. <laughs> and I got a it. Okay. Just by damn, I'd, if I'd known it was that yeah, easy. Just that's the only job I've ever slept my way to. Wow. It was. I think it was matching jumper and scalp on Casualty. I think it was that. Okay. Yeah. It was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. Good. Um. So you've just had a baby, and I wouldn't usually talk about this quite yeah. recent though. And you've had a baby with a York City sporting comedian, the, yeah. and it isn't me. How did this happen? <laughs> Yeah, I had a baby 13 weeks ago. That's crazy. What are you doing out? I know. But then I went to the BBC Christmas party after four weeks. Did you? Yes, so, and that was fine. Well, I think it's good to get out quickly. We, we, did, we went to Buckingham Palace. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> then we weren't invited. For we just approval. Went there. <laughs> we went, a month after our daughter was born, we got, I'd been invited for some reason to a, uh, a dinner party with Princess Anne at uh, yeah. Buckingham Palace for a charity that I have nothing to do with. Oh. It was a, 
was a bit. I, I, I didn't know whether to bring it up. Like it was a bit different for us because um, our daughter has a heart condition. I don't know if you saw, and so she had to have open heart surgery at five days old. Yeah. So uh, we were in intensive care for three weeks. So when we got home, we're like, we have to go out. Like I basically lived in. It was like a. A dirty hotel. Oh, no, that sounds makes sound really awful. Thank you, Great Ormond Street. It's lovely. It was really <laughs> weird and dirty and like this grimy little um, like accommodation opposite Great Ormond Street for three right. weeks. And so it was like any opportunity. I was so excited to be home with a baby that was well and out. I, yes, I, of I went a bit nuts. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, went I'm out understandable. All the time. It's difficult. Never in. You spent the first three weeks with them. What more do yeah, they want? Exactly. That's- <laughs> <laughs> she was fine. Yeah, that's good. She's fine. That's good to know. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, though. That first three months especially are difficult, and then the next 18 years. So uh, <laughs> look out for that. They're all pretty bad. Um, but uh, they give you diseases. That's the problem. That's where I Have am Have you today. got a disease? From I've, your, I've got a disease. It's from just, which, what, your daughter or your son? Well, both of them. It's both dirty little pests. <laughs> They pick up everything. It's probably my daughter. My daughter goes to nursery now, and that's nice. Yeah, that's gross. Gets her out of the house, but, you know, then she comes back with all the diseases from the other kids. So what we... F- the I other kids know- in the village who are all dirty, <laughs> not like us. Well, so when we had our daughter at uh, UCLH, which is just down the road, and what they do as practice is they give every baby that's born the BCG... Yes. because of TB, which has been eradicated in most countries, but there's loads of it in Camden for some reason. Right. And they were saying, oh, so, you know, if, you, if your baby had been born, like, in another part of the country, we wouldn't have to give her this... But there's loads of TB in Camden. So if you're worried about, like, getting a bug yeah. from nursery, from your posh, wherever you live now, your posh place, <laughs> try living in Camden. They've got TB. So. I'm going to try and live there. <laughs> and that'll show you. It was, it was having TB. That, the loads of comedy people got together because of TB. Who, who was it? The two writers who got together because they had TB. TB. So the Simpson, uh, Simpson and the Golden Simpson. You're correct. And also, Robert Lindsay had TB. I saw <laughs> he, he showed a picture of himself uh, as a kid thanking the NHS for uh, saving his life. Oh. Just as by the by. So there you go. So <laughs> TB's not all bad. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> That TB, no Stepton Son, I think. Is that right? Yeah, good. Um, There's pretty well. And that, do you know Stepton Son in 1970 got 20.5 million viewers? It was like the, and that wasn't even the top programme of the year. What was the top programme? It was, I'll tell you what it was, it was Miss World. I just, this is a tweet I saw today. (laughs) Miss World, 1970 was the top, something like 30 million. Second was Apollo 13 splashing down. So Miss World. Got more than Apollo 13, the, the, the people being saved, their lives being saved as they splashed into that the ocean. It's been amazing. What, Miss World? Miss World. It was great. <laughs> it was great, Can just they... girls drew around, it was no problems. You could slap them on the arse and no one said a thing. It was brilliant. Oh, what do you mean? Inside the Apollo 13 well, You, you yeah, know how good. we all got really bored of them Chilean miners? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on all the time. I mean, you've got rolling news, like, oh, are they out yeah. yet? No. Imagine getting 30 minutes. Isn't that incredible, though, that people got. Like a comedy show got 20 million viewers. Yeah, that's because... So that every, you know, that's half the country at that point, probably, we're watching one television programme. The viewing figures for this are similar. <laughs> Eventually, if the, you know, after about a million years, we'll be there. If this stays up on YouTube, <laughs> which it probably will. So, Danielle, mm-hmm. uh, people might be aware of you from lots of different places. And they might not be aware of you probably at all. Probably not at all, but yeah. Uh, but you do lots of podcasts, which might be uh, the in for a lot of people. And we yes. should. Fantastic podcasts. Do the right thing. Is, do the uh, right thing. Can you name any other podcasts uh, I do? You do uh, the film one, the film Fandango. <laughs> oh, well done. Yeah, thank you. I do research. Uh, your husband, boyfriend, you married? No. Disgusting. Uh, have, <laughs> has been nominated for an award, uh, the Chortle Award for Best Internet Show. In which yeah, he does, against you, he isn't does he? A, uh, he does a thing where he's parodying comedians, interviewing other comedians. <laughs> yeah. Don't know where he gets his crazy ideas from. <laughs> He sports York City, though, so I can say no bad thing about yeah. it. But that isn't my podcast. No, but I'm saying... You might know me from my boyfriend's podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying I know some other podcasts. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's um, uh, Adam Buxton does Adam, one. He does one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair, Do the Right Thing is... A, an extra, and, it, and it became a TV pilot. Yes, a pilot that yeah. ne- never, never got, got picked didn't up. Didn't but get, I yeah. think because they... it's, it's my Producer Ben uh, Walker is also the producer of, of your... Uh, he is, yes. Uh, and I think it's, it's a very good and well thought out, and you've done it for several years, because I was on it about six or seven years yeah. ago, so you've been doing it for a long time. And, and it's a really good teams of people. 
Michael Legs on it. He's a, he's dis- all right. He's disappointing, yeah. but Margaret's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> You're brilliant, and uh, it's the right people to do it, I think. And you've worked out how the format works. So yeah. it's, it's kind of giving moral dilemmas, and people have to. Well, well, actually, that's where it differs because oh, um, I've got a radio. I had a radio full show called Dilemma, and that was moral dilemmas. Yes, that was moral and dilemma. so legally. I've had to invent a different thing legally, so <laughs> d- different, and do the right thing is actually practical problems. Yes, yeah, so what it is. It is, it's more. Pra- it is, and it's le- legally, technically different. Because yeah. the BBC own 20% of Dilemma, okay. whereas I own 80%, but do the right thing, me and Ben, 50-50. No, that's good. Well, it is, it is different. I think you asked me about how do you get rid of someone who's got an erection, how do you get rid of it? I think yeah, was, you wouldn't do that on Radio 4. That's, yeah, that's not a moral question. <laughs> that's not that's, a moral dilemma, That's just t- hit it with a pencil. That's the answer. <laughs> What did you say? What was, your, was, it, was that your answer? Well, because I had a friend who worked in uh, sexual health and sometimes men would come to her with sexually transmitted diseases and she was a pretty uh, young woman yeah. and they would sometimes become you know, aroused and she would... by having their penises out, their <laughs> diseased penises out in front of a woman. And weirdly, she didn't, wasn't that interested in these strange diseased penises, so she would find a way to get rid would of them. She and she said it? Hit, hit it with a pencil was her advice. She didn't hit it with a pencil herself? No, she said hit it with a pencil. But she didn't get it penciled out and... She got a pencil out. She had a pencil like, already. Like She's making notes. VD. That's what <laughs> he has got VD. <laughs> Stop that, mister. And that's enough to put men off the shock. Yeah. Is, does, that, does that work? I don't know. I've, I've never done it to anyone. And uh, when I get an erection, I want it to stay. So I don't... <laughs> I'm not... If there, it's rare enough now. <laughs> And if it's up there, you know, I might use a pencil just to help support it a bit. <laughs> In the early stages. I'm not bad. It's not bad for a 50-year-old. It's not bad. It takes a little bit. You know, you get, get the engines running, haven't you, mate? Yeah, and once the engine's up and running... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Don't pretend you don't. Uh, so, uh, well, but you did... Uh, I thought it was interesting because you took it to TV and then uh, Claudia Winkleman, who I love and think is great, was she involved. She was really good, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. She's, she's, but it's sort of... It's weird the way... TV can't just go, well, just, well, you've done really well here with this thing, let's give it a crack, because it clearly works. Well, we did a pilot of Do the Right Thing with Claudia Winkleman, who is the, what, the most famous woman on British television? Strictly Come Dancing gets the highest viewing figures of anything, yeah. apart from Blue Planet, and we couldn't have got a whale or anything. So we had Claudia, we had Claudia, and she was great, and she was really funny, and that we had a really great, um, like, I think we had Joe Lysett, Sarah Pascoe, Bridget Christie, Rich Dayardi, really great yeah. people on the show. And it was a good pilot, and uh, there was like this chat about. They were like, "Oh, I don't think Claudia's right for it. Is there anybody? Can you think of anybody else? Can we have a list of other potential people who could host it?" And on the list was Samuel L. Jackson, (laughs) (laughs) famously, is very good on panel shows. Do you know my my favourite ever commissioning story is? um, there's a, a thing on Radio 4 called Chain Reaction. Yes. And it's where people interview other people. And my favourite ever commissioning story is my friend was the producer on it and she went to someone at Radio 4 who was quite high up. And it was Lenny Henry who was on it. And they said, we think it'd be really great to get someone else to interview Lenny Henry who was black, basically. I mean, she didn't even use that, that term. She said, someone who was like Lenny Henry. <laughs> it'd be really great if we could get her. And she got a list back of potential names to interview Lenny Henry. And this was maybe eight years ago and on the list of people to interview Lenny Henry was uh, Morgan Freeman (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg (laughs) and Richard Pryor (laughs) (laughs) the dead Richard Pryor (laughs) I mean that's why you've got to have a smile when dealing with these people that's why Samuel L. Jackson was on your list because they left him off (laughs) the last time yeah I mean it was a bit it was a bit of a... Like, there were some really great people that we worked with at Channel 4, but... I had a very good meeting with Channel 4 last week as well. <laughs> uh, so, I got something commissioned, then new people took over, and, yeah, yeah. and it's... Well, judging by the way the meeting kind of <laughs> got up and moved out the door before we'd really ended it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sort of ended oh. in the corridor, me getting in a lift... Very oh. weird. I don't think that show's going to get made uh, by Channel 4, but we'll see. She did say we'd meet up next week, but... It's next week now, so... Have you thought about... (laughs) (laughs) You put Scarlet Moffat in it. I'll do that. I'm going to put... I'm going to change Noel Fielding, because he's not big enough on Channel 4, for Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And and Richard Pryor's going to be Ben Bailey Smith. He was very good in Superman 3. He'd be excellent. He was. He was very good in Marlon Brando, from what I hear as well. (laughs) 
it's an amazing bit of yes. tittle-tattle, isn't it? Well, if true. I mean, I suppose it's tittle-tattle. Quincy Jones said it was true. Yeah. Richard Pryor's wife said it was true. Yeah, uh, but Richard Pryor's daughter said it wasn't true, and we all tell our daughters if we've had <laughs> gay sex with a living legend. I said... I mean, I'd just feel awkward if I was Marlon Brando, you know, because you'd have to get the... You'd have to get butter out and everything, wouldn't you? Because this is a bit... It's a bit like... This is a bit like that film I did, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think butter's a good lubricant. I don't think it is. No. You know, Marlon Brando wasn't to know that. <laughs> Um, no, let's not go there. So, uh, do your own, do your own. Um, let's see what else you have done. Well, I, I love your Edinburgh shows. You've done like, and uh, this, when I was looking, I, I, you know, I, I've been a fan of yours and I've seen lo- most of your Edinburgh shows, I think, if not all of them. And uh, I, even I was sort of like surprised by how many things you've done. You've done a lot of stuff. No, I've done a lot of stuff for someone this unsuccessful. I don't know, right? but, <laughs> but it's better. I know you're, you, I, I know you feel like that, and I know you feel like you've not been recognised as much as you should, which is true. But also, you've carried on and you've made all these amazing and ambitious projects so a lot of people just do stand-up shows and you've done stand-up-y shows or like yeah. one woman shows but you've done like big musicals you've done small musicals yep. you've done you know you've, you've done karaoke circus which is like this incredible thing we get comedians in to come in with a band and you have yeah. to rehearse these things so you're doing these very <laughs> ambitious projects and they work and they keep going yeah and so it's you know that's that's you can be proud of futile. that it's like, I it's do futile though. i know you art projects <laughs> no but that's but that, if you're still here... With no and still, financial gain. doesn't matter. If you're still here and you're still doing them, then that's what matters. It's, I think, you know, it's, I think as you get older, I think you do realise that. I think most comedians go through this period of thinking, why is this amazing? And they're amazing things you've done, and they have had some recognition. You've won some yeah. awards, and you've had lovely reviews. And My had, musicals are in the British Library. There you go. Yeah. My blogs are as well, so... Uh, oh, well, that's, that's how... That's how <laughs> That's how weak that is. <laughs> and, you know, so you've done... Let's, so Sister Psycho was one of the first things I saw you do, which was... Yes. Which was a kind of crazy musical Very about. weird. A, a killer lesbian robotic nun... Yep. ...who um, steals a baby, keeps it in a cupboard, turns out the baby's Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And uh, I always... Like, it was one of those... I always forgot that, like... Um, for years, Martin White, who was the, he wrote the music, he'd say to me, do you remember when Benedict Cumberbatch gave us a standing ovation? And I don't, like, you know, bits of information just drop out your head. Yeah. I was like, did he? <laughs> I don't, like, and apparently Benedict Cumberbatch's favourite ever fringe show. There you go. Yeah, and he wasn't even famous then, so I, I, didn't, uh, know, I didn't care. I saw Benedict Cumberbatch in the toilet at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> really? Yeah. When you went out after your... Yeah, it was the same. I've only been to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> well, I actually have been to Buckingham Palace twice, but Benedict Cumberbatch I was only I saw Emma Bunton in the toilet at once. Did you? And she was very thin. Was she? Yeah. Did she just done a big poo? Like Benedict Cumberbatch, I was in the I went in the loo at Buckingham yeah. Palace, and he was standing there talking to someone. And he looked at me, and you kind of think, "Oh God, you're Benedict Cumberbatch," you know. Did you think and he so, was going to go? Oh, it's Richard Harris. No, well, that's why I didn't even <laughs> didn't even consider that. So I just didn't say anything and walked out. But you kind of go sometimes, and when you say something like that, Benedict Cumberbatch was coming to a fringe shows. Yeah. You go, maybe Benedict Cumberbatch was going, "Oh, Richard Harris, rude, isn't he?" I, mean, <laughs> I really like his fringe shows, and he came to the toilet, and just looked away, and looked embarrassed, and walked out like I was nothing. But I was sort of so overwhelmed that Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Victoria Wood was. Was there? It was amazing. In not the, in the toilet. toilet. <laughs> not in the toilet. Um, Michael Ball was there. Greg Davies was there. I thought when you said you'd gone to uh, Buckingham Palace, you'd gone yeah. as like as a day trip. Mm. But you, this sounds like we a went to have dinner with Princess Anne. It Why? was quite. It might not have happened. I Why was a month she... after my daughter was born. You know what it's like. Anything could. Have... I don't know. I was. I, I do lots of work. Why were you invited? I do lots of work with Scope, and the guy who worked, used to work for Scope now worked for Motor Neurone Disease, and I think he was trying to make because I've raised loads oh, of money okay. for Scope. I think he was trying to get me to go over to Motor Neurone Disease, and to be honest, Scope had never got me taken to Buckingham Palace, <laughs> so fuck them. <laughs> I'm with the old MNDs now. Yeah. That's, that's there, my lot. <laughs> Actually, got a fuck the cerebral palsy lot. I'm with the um, my neuron ones now because <laughs> I had a nice cake. Did it work? Is that what they do? Do charities wine and dine you? I think they do. Yeah, but I don't know why they did it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very nice. I was sitting next to uh, Nick Knowles's now ex-wife. Oh, that, that story starts so well in the toilet. <laughs> Nick Knowles's ex-wife. We were right at the other end of the table. At the pleb end. 
Well, it was Practically weird. I don't in know, the kitchen. I don't know if I can talk about this. We'll, we'll discuss this later, Ben, whether we can talk about this. We used to have some people who came to all of the gigs, and they haven't really come recently, but they were butlers. Remember the butlers who used to come? Actual butlers. They were butlers. And I just thought, well, some, someone posh in North London has a butler. They worked at Buckingham Palace. And they were, they were working on that day that we were there. And I, was t- I, didn't, I didn't know. And I, t- I was saying to Greg, I said, oh, it's incredible. We've got a couple of people who come and see the podcast who are butlers here. You know, I wonder if they're around. And one of them was serving me food just as I said that. And I didn't recognize her because she did, you know, she didn't, they look like that down there. Don't they? They, look like, they look like butlers. And they were, they were, very, they were a lovely uh, couple. Of butlers. <laughs> Did they sneak you any extras in? No, not really. No, they were nice though. They said they, could, you know, they couldn't say it. They said afterwards they couldn't say it. They couldn't talk. They weren't allowed, they weren't to, allowed talk to, to chat. To yeah. Go, hey, Rich, it's us from the podcast. <laughs> we shat in your food. <laughs> Princess Anne was very nice. Out of all of them, she's the best one. Princess. Yeah, Anne. she's the best yeah. one, isn't she? Not Prince Anne. I could tell you some stories about Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ben. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Ben. No, it's all right. Um, good, yeah. So, and also, uh, well, there's a lot of Take a Break Tales, which was about, like, little stories that yeah. would have been in, I, have been in Take When a break. I wrote Take a Break Tales, so I, I took stories from Take a Break and turned them into little plays. And in my head, this was like a collection of Greek tragedies. Yeah. I was like some amazing, you know, Greek writer who I can't remember the name of. 13 week old Euripides yeah something like that and I thought that's what it'd be like and then everybody I mean take a break actual take a break magazine gave me a mug (laughs) (laughs) and the best thing that happened yeah they were you won a best show award for that didn't you no according to Wikipedia you did did I yeah if I did then no one told me (laughs) have a time out (laughs) I feel like I've missed out yeah. No, Time Out, that was for Best uh, Newcomer for Stand Up. No, there was something else. There yeah, was something well, to take away. But yeah, no, I, 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 I think it's because I find, like, I really like doing stand up, but I get frustrated by the medium. I get frustrated by the idea that you can't go on a bit of a journey. Like, you can't. It, I think it's really hard to create a different world. I really like working on stage with other people, which obviously you can't do as a stand up. Yeah. And also, I, really, I find it a bit frustrating sometimes when you come out in front of an audience. Not this audience, obviously. When you're doing a club gig as a stand-up or even a tour show and you come out and you're immediately having to win them over. And when you do any piece of theatre, like, so I did a play at the Donmar and, and the audience are so like, so what, what, what's going to happen? And they're so excited uh, and they've bought money to see this story, whereas stand-up's so combative that the audience like, well, come on then, impress us. Yeah. And I, got, I get really fed up with that sometimes. Like, the idea that... I'm not allowed, you're not given that, that leeway to, to maybe do something a bit more interesting. You have to get out there and slam people down. And I remember once doing uh, the comedy store, doing a 10-minute slot at the comedy store and being told backstage that it's just crowd control. And I'm sure that, like, some stand-ups love that, but for yeah. me, that's not what I ever wanted to no, do. No, but there's lots of... In fact, you were, when I came back to stand-up, you were running an amazing club at the Betsy Trotswoods. Yeah, that was good. Upstairs, where you, where you deliberately had kind of weird and wonderful yeah. and more Andrew characters. Andrew Lawrence. Andrew Lawrence. Yeah, let Andrew Lawrence do it. <laughs> it's all your fault. Who knew? <laughs> um, but, you know, so you can, you can find... Well, you found your own way through that, though. Yeah, but, but that was a, that's a very tiny... That's a very tiny room, and I think sometimes as a stand-up, there's this idea that you should be able to play any room, and I don't know. I really I like vacillate between the idea that if you're a great stand-up, you should be able to play any room, and actually, if you're a great stand-up, you know exactly what you do, and sometimes it will work, and sometimes it will fail. And I always have trouble deciding which one I think is true. I don't. I don't think you should be able to play every room. I think a great, a really great stand-up can't play every room because some rooms are unplayable or some rooms are, aren't about doing stand-up. Yeah. So you know, you, like you say, so those rooms and the guys who do those rooms are amazing. Because it is about just going, people are going to shout stuff and throw stuff and you've got to come back and win them round. Yeah. And that's an amazing thing to do. But that's not really being, what, it's not the stuff you're talking about. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Yeah. Except your stuff is better than that, what they're doing. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> artistically speaking, but you know, it's, it's an impressive skill. But no one, I mean, some people can do a variety of things, but I don't, I think it's, you know, jack of all trades rather than master of one particular one. You know, you can do different things, yeah, and still and still be good at them. But I think you'd, to try and do every room, I think, is insane. Yeah, because like some rooms are just you know. So like, if you did uh, Donald Trump's uh, <laughs> golf course, you yeah. know, probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't great... like you very much, and no. you can't go. I'm not a good comedian because those guys. Well, I don't know. <laughs> See, I don't know because I I stopped doing stand up when I was pregnant because I could not cope with the. Uh, 
overwhelming self-hatred I'd have if a gig went badly. I couldn't deal with that anxiety. And because I was pregnant, I wasn't allowed to drink and take over-the-counter codeine, which is what I'd normally do. So um, (laughs) I found it it really difficult. I had to stop doing it. Yeah, you've got to stop caring. And care, we still care. Uh, I mean, you've got to be, you know. But you know, I just think what you're doing is what you've done, and what you're carrying on doing is uh, is incredible. All these different things are. So your last show was your last show, the one about the, the being 17. Was yes, that, it was. Yeah, was I just remembered I, there was a writer of what uh, I think it's Carrie Circus in the Guardian, and um, James Kettle had written. She clearly doesn't care about her career. <laughs> 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 a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> I think you know. I think out of everyone I know, you do. You you take it quite personally and get quite cross about people <laughs> don't you i think you're quite you know you're ang- and lots of comedians are bitter and i don't think you're bitter but you're, you're cross <laughs> but you're cross about and i understand it because you, you know i've created lots of things and i've done lots of edinburgh extravaganza things yeah. plays and things that are bigger that have not done well do you know i'm less i'm less cross now i think when i was younger i would get really like why isn't anybody recognizing my genius um you know like albert einstein used to do when he was in his post office um i used to i used to get really i get really angry about it and now i sort of it's, it's difficult because i remember once being on a train with bridget christie and saying to her i'm motivated neither by money nor wanting to make people laugh which <laughs> means i'm in a, in a really bad job but i, I get like the thing I think the thing that's weird is when you look at stand-up, and, you, and I don't know if you get this as well, you can see that, obviously, if you are hugely successful and you really work at it and you find the right sort of material, you could earn an incredible amount of money. You could be, like, properly insanely rich if you do it properly. And part of me always thinks, would I... Can I do that? Am I good enough to do that? But I'd, I don't really want to because it's not who I want to be. No. But there's part of me that's like, maybe I should give it a go. Whenever I try and give it a go, whenever I try and be that... I remember once my manager, when I was with the, um, the management that you are currently with, when I was with them, I remember my manager saying to me, maybe if you just try being a little bit more like Russell Kane. <laughs> it's like, what can I say? People think you're really grumpy. Just, you know, just cheer up a bit. <laughs> and so I, 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 do, I do wonder if maybe if I... But I don't think I am. I don't think I've got it in me. I'm not a light entertainer. No, but both Bridget and Stuart are in the position where they're making, presumably, a huge amount of money performing to loads of people every night. And yeah. they're both, you know, Bridget's a very good example yeah. of someone who was doing I think you're very similar. You, I saw you both first probably in, that, in the caves in uh, the Gilded Blue. Yeah, we were And, you know, and doing really weird stuff. I mean, her stuff's, like, less weird, but it's still no less comedically interesting. You well, know, I think her, but she started off being more weird. <coughs> yeah, no, she, she was weird and she's got less weird. But What's um, the, the thing that I, was a real turning point for me in terms of where I, what I do now? I'm, like, I'm mainly a writer, to be honest, now. Um, in 2012, both me and Bridget took shows up to the fringe about um, feminism and misogyny. Hers was War Donkey. Yeah. Mine was Speakeasy. And my, my show discussed all of the different weird jobs I've had and the sexism that I faced. This is in 2012. And Bridget's was about, um, uh, about uh, uh, women in other countries and, and how they face um, misogyny. And we both got like, loads of two-star reviews going, oh, for f- oh, it's just a woman talking about being a woman on stage. Oh, don't you, Can you not just do universal subjects like penises and things like that? You know, you know the sort of material that we can all relate to, like spunking over a prostitute? Can't you do that sort of thing? We've got these sorts of reviews basically slamming us for not doing for like doing material that was quite female centric. Yeah. And I remember bumping into Bridget in the street saying, "Oh, I'm getting awful reviews," and she was like, "I'm getting awful reviews as well." And and she's and like and I that's when I said I can't do it anymore. Like if I can't go out on stage and be a woman and talk about being a woman, if I have to pretend that I am some asexual being for an audience and a bunch of reviewers to like me, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I can't be who I want to be. And um, Bridget said, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do even more next year. I'm going to do like a more feminist show. There's even more, even if it ruins my career. And I was like, well, good luck with that, mate. And uh, <laughs> she won the Perrier and I stopped doing it. But, you know, but that's, but that, but that's what the, the, the whole business is like, you know. And there's, yeah. lot, there's these decisions you make and some of them are right and some of them are wrong and, you know, and someone gets picked up and someone doesn't get picked up. I mean, there was a lot of people doing brilliant shows about feminist shows around that time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Bridget was the one that kind of captured the, the public mood maybe the most, but it's, 
you know, it's, there's a lot of luck involved in that. But it, but what's in? I know. I think what is admirable and better is you're just you know you're doing, you're carrying on and doing all these different things. And that ultimately, I think when you get to the end, you would you know of your life and you look back, you go, I'm glad I did that crazy robot nun. Yeah. Elton John thing. I'm glad it, that, no, that, that existed. Really, you know, I know you will be, but you, you know, rather than certainly rather than going, I played the Apollo and the five thousand people came and laughed about my jokes about, you know, biscuits. I mean, all <laughs> all I really want is the bronze statue in my that looks like me in the, <laughs> in the middle of Fairham Shopping Centre. Okay, that's, that's all I want. That'll be fine. All I, even I remember, like at the age of thirteen, got, I haven't even got any connection to Fairham. <laughs> just that's what I wanted to. Be. <laughs> when I was thirteen, telling my religious studies teacher that all I ever wanted was a beautiful statue. <laughs> I don't think it's asking a lot. As long as that's happened, you can be at the end. You can be okay. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, if it hasn't happened, when you die, if I'm still alive, which is quite unlikely, I'll cover you in bronze and stick you up in fair. I'll that's cover an you easy solution. Yeah, right? They could just dip me in something, and then it will just be your withered old corpse. Quite scary. Maybe good. Um, you wrote. I was. You wrote this show, which I didn't see, about being seventeen. Yeah. Uh, but I read that you wrote to four famous people in 1996. I did. And two of them you don't mention in the show. Yeah. Rob Newman and Stuart Lee. Yeah. <laughs> and who were the other? Who were the, <laughs> why didn't you write to me? And why? who else did you write to? Um, so, um, I don't know why I didn't write to you. I remember going to see you. I think I saw... Because I, I, this is very exciting for me because I was a big Fist of Fun fan. Mm. Loved it. In fact, it was... It, um, there was a really lovely article that uh, Stu wrote after Marky Smith died about being a Fall fan yeah. and about how The Fall introduces you to other bands. And that's what happened to me. Like, I got into The Fall listening to your radio show. It wasn't in the DBU, obviously. Um, <laughs> listen, to, <laughs> listen to your radio show. And that's when I think I bought my first Fall album when I was 16 because I loved Fist of Fun. Yeah. Well, I think, it was, I think it was the radio show before you had your TV show. And that got me into so much other music. And, and it is like The Fall really are an education in music. And so you can sort of plot the lineage of of your musical taste through that and like so it was really interesting to see that it started from you two and i think it's because so i wrote to wrote to Stuart lee and rob newman and gary barlow and brett anderson these were i know what a collection (laughs) (laughs) but um as i say in in my uh show i wrote (laughs) i wrote like i think i wrote I had a fanzine. You remember fanzines? I do remember fanzines. You used to have a fanzine. I had a fanzine that I wrote when I was like 16, 17. And we'd have interviews with people. And so, and because no one in a band would ever write back. Because right. they were all too snooty. But all the comedians loved it. Yeah. If you write to a comedian saying, can I ask you some questions? They'd be like, yeah, sure. And so um, I remember writing to Rob Newman and Stuart Lee just with this, a list of questions. I remember, I've got, I've found it. I, I can't even remember, like most of the questions I asked, you were really pointless but i remember one was um who would you prefer who is a better captain kirk or picard right and he said uh picard is a humanist genius <laughs> yes and he said that kirk was a bully yeah. i do remember that so i wrote to those two but when i wrote to gary barlow it was hate mail oh was it yeah so did he respond he didn't reply well what this i mean so I, I didn't actually do it but what i, I because I mentioned this, like, I, I, th- I thought it would be amazing. Gary Barlow really loves chocolate oranges, as we all know. <laughs> and so what I did was I wrote on a little tiny piece of paper, Gary Barlow, you are a prick. And I put it in the middle bit, you know, the middle bit of a chocolate orange where the yeah. stem is. Yeah. I, t- I took the stem out of the chocolate orange and put this little bit of paper in it and wrapped it up. But I never, I say in the show I sent it to him, but I never actually oh. sent it to him. But I did, I did do it, and then I thought, this is really mental. <laughs> <laughs> Should not be doing this. But I did genuinely send um, Brett Anderson a bra. Never sent anybody else a bra. Don't get, don't get jealous. Why did you send him a bra? Because I loved him. I thought oh, that... Oh, he said what it was like your own bra. I thought it was, it was like my... a bra for him. I think this, this might help with your boob problem, Brett. It wasn't, it wasn't even my bra. Okay. I'd gone out and bought it because, like... When you're young, bras yeah. are very expensive. So yes. I didn't want to send Brett Anderson my own bra because they cost... I was like a 34F. And so my bras cost 20 quids <laughs> from Bravissimo. They're yeah. really expensive. So I went to the market and bought a bra. But um, I bought a, a grey sports bra thinking that would be sexy, which it wasn't. <laughs> and so I sent him this grey... 
And he didn't reply he didn't anyway. Reply he didn't reply. He was too busy wanking into that bra. That's how yeah. I tell you that. <laughs> didn't have time. When I went, I did a gig in, um, where was I? It was Northampton a couple of years ago. And Shane from Westlife was on in the big venue and I was next door. And there was like a bra. As <laughs> I came out into my merch, there was a bra just on the steps outside. So it's like someone had shot their bolt a bit early or late. <laughs> You'd throw it at him on the stage. You wouldn't wait. Oh, yeah. I'll put it on the steps so that he can get it on his way out. Are bras sexy no. without breasts in them? I don't think so. I mean, like, if you were 13, if you were a 13 year old boy and a girl sent me a bra, that would be yeah. sexy. I totally misjudged it. I think, What's yeah, the weirdest bra- thing you've been sent? Um, <laughs> 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 uh, we did get some, we sort of requested people to send in stuff. Because we did the gallery on this yeah. one, so we got like a lot of strange. I got a picture things. on the gallery. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one was yours? I got a dog with Marquis Smith's head on it. Okay, well, that was that was bound to get. Yeah, on. well, of course, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, I knew my audience. <laughs> <laughs> the one I remember just because last week we were talking about Brian May was Brian May made out of. Uh, <laughs> someone had done Brian May made out of licorice and sweets, which would make uh, John Robbins furious because it was all about his hair being ridiculous, wasn't it? That's nice. Making doing it in licorice form, but I'm sure I've been. I mean, we get some. Uh, but you get, since you've got old, yeah. what is the best thing anybody sent you? <laughs> yeah, but that's it. It all dries up. Everything Does dries it? up. Um, I, well, the, uh, the weird, well, the, uh, this is a weird thing and a nasty thing. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a blog about cycling and getting wet on my bicycle, and somebody sent a pair of waterproof trousers to my home address. <gasps> oh, that is weird. Yeah. So, with, and no note, and no, just like they, they, that's, and so that's like a little bit going. I know where you where they and they they didn't know they put like two numbers on. They put the next door of my so they knew where I lived roughly. And it got to me because it had my name on it. And it's the most... And it's horrible. I just threw him in the bin. And, but I, th- I throw <laughs> Do you think away... it you... was Stuart Goldsmith who it said could have been, it? <laughs> But he knows where I live. He knows exactly He knows the actual number. Him and Nish Kumar lived right behind me, so they could have just oh, okay. thrown it over the fence like they did with all those eggs. <laughs> um, or just a chat in my front garden like they did. So. I, I, I sort of admire that, though. I feel a bit... Like, as a woman, you get, like, hate mail. We get, like, abuse on Twitter. Yeah. Part of me's like, oh, at least make the effort to find out where I live <laughs> <laughs> and write it in blood. <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like as a comedian, it's not. It's, it's just annoying that someone thinks it's just because it's someone saying, you know, there's a sort of message there, isn't it? It's a message of power. It's just annoying. But you know, as a comedian people know where you are it doesn't you don't need to have, yeah, exactly. have our address to get, we say hey I'm going to be the left square theatre yeah. and say oh great thanks thanks for, thanks for the feces but it is interesting I think a lot of comedians were obsessive about something whether it's you know musicians a lot, a lot of I, mean, I, I was obsessed about comedians I hated I, you know, I didn't hate music I wasn't interested in music I was interested in comedy but a lot of comedians do seem to be like obsessive about Musical so the acts. sport or music yeah. or... And then the really famous comedians don't like anything. <laughs> they don't. They don't have any interest. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean, I was... Growing up, I, I loved I loved music. I was, like, really, really into my music. But I also really loved my comedy. I went to... I, I've said this... I think I might have mentioned it on other podcast, but um, the first thing I ever went to see, I went to see Cannon and Ball when I was nine nice. years old. I, lo- I loved Cat. I loved them so much. I loved the film The Boys in Blue, yeah. which I watched again recently and is not a good film. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you like, well, I know that like they, those two can't act, but they've got everybody else and it can't act either. <laughs> like, the, the key to being good in something is get everybody who's better than you around you. Um, but I, I absolutely, I was so obsessed with Cannon and Ball. And my parents have zero interest in what I do for a living. They've never been to see anything I've ever done, ever. They've only visited London now I've had a baby. I have issues. We don't have to get into it. <laughs> but, um, and so they've never... But the, the one thing they did, they knew I loved Cannon and Ball. So when I was nine, they took me to Butlin to see Cannon and Ball. And nice. it was amazing. And it was really... I remember like, it was a Thursday evening and my mum said, if you, could, if you could see anything at the weekend, what would it be? And I went, not Cannon and Ball. <laughs> my mum went... Yeah, cannon and ball. <laughs> Took me to Bogner. Yeah. It was brilliant. They were, I, I got some rock on Tommy braces yeah. and everything. I remember, honestly, I, I, when their first series came out, I was maybe, I don't know, I feel like I was 10, but maybe I was a bit older than that. But it was genuinely, I remember me and my sister just 
pissing ourselves with it. It was amazing. They and have they, no and, material. It's all <laughs> it's all stage presence. Yeah, yeah. It's a, they're brilliant. Yeah. And Rick Mail was in a sketch with have you seen the sketch? Yeah, with Rick the sketch, Mayle? yeah, the, in the shop. Yeah. That shop sketch. Yeah. Good. You met Debbie McGee the other day. I didn't meet her. Uh, how didn't you? <laughs> no, no. You I really fell in love with her. Though. I fell in love with her. My mum made me go to Strictly Come Dancing Live with her on Saturday. And um, bearing in mind, like, I've got a 13-week-old baby. <laughs> he got to this fucking arena two hours early. And I was so grumpy. I sat on a piece of concrete going, could have been in bed. I was really annoyed. And so I got really quite pissed. Um, and yeah, and so uh, I was like, oh, these dancing cunts. And by this, that's my mum, obviously. <laughs> so mum was going, oh, they're amazing, aren't they? Yeah, they're really good. Um, and everybody, like, everybody was fine, they were all right. But David McGee's amazing. <laughs> she was like properly amazing. Right. And she, and like, you know, some of them get a bit emotional about what they're doing, and some of them are like, oh, thank you so much for voting for us. And David McGee's just like, I'm having a great time. <laughs> She's 60 years old and her husband's dead. <laughs> she doesn't. <just, laughs> You do impressions of David Bowie, Chris Marshall, oh. and Adrian Childs. Go. No. Do them all being in a pub and having a conversation. <laughs> I didn't. Know. <laughs> I can't even remember. I did in my 2009. I had a, a show. I had an acting telephone, and I did Chris Marshall. I, don't, I have no idea How did what you do I did. Chris I don't know. I can't even remember what I did. I cannot remember. And the David Bowie, I did some really obscure David Bowie references that no one ever got and everybody <laughs> thought was shit. And then for Adrian Childs, I did um, a man uh, really hating plain crisps. So he was like, the, the joke, he was like, oh, I mean, because it, uh, it was about, you know, Gary Lineker also hosted, Gary Lineker hosted Match of the Day, Adrian yeah. Charles hosted Match of the Day too, okay. and I set up this idea of a rivalry between, it was very complicated, <laughs> the backstory was worthy of at least three episodes of a Netflix series, <laughs> and, um, and he, like, he would be, he, he hated plain flavoured crisps, right. and I just pretended to be sick. <laughs> It was all right. It's all no, right. No one like. If I'd been a bloke, they'd have loved it. <laughs> I uh, saw Adrian Charles in Cafe Near and Hammersmith once, and really? uh, he had the same computer as me. He said, How's he, "How are you getting on with it?" He said, "All right." Uh, so, uh, who's the most famous person you've spoken to in London? Do you still get excited uh, when you see famous people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, who have I spoken? I don't know. I'm too shy to speak to people. I don't know why I spoke to Adrian Charles. Yeah. It's just because he had a Sony. Vi- he had the little Sony Vio. It's a little. It's nice. Uh, <laughs> Must have been a long time ago because I haven't had a, <laughs> I've had Max for so long now. It was back in the day when Adrian Charles was f- still still yeah, famous. No one... they, will they won't they? Was going on. <sighs> <laughs> time passes by quickly, doesn't it? I don't know who do I, I, did, I did see. Some, I keep forgetting. I saw, I saw some people this week. I think <laughs> but, um, I'm too old to remember now. You're trying to function on about was, four hours sleep. Was, yeah. Yeah, I've got a bug, and you know, I looked after my son last. It's nice when they, it's nice when they sleep in bed with you. But then I'm always worried I'll roll over and yeah, crush I, him to death. I don't, I can't do that. Yeah, I'm genuinely worried that. Yeah, but then you know, some sleep. Sh- it would shut him up, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so nice, so lovely. I'm my friend was saying to me, she said, um, she was saying, oh, you know, when they sleep through the night, it's amazing. And what will happen is you'll wake up, and they won't have woken you up, and you'll think. Are they dead? <laughs> and if they are dead, it's going to be a really hard day, so I should definitely stay in bed a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, the police will come round. <laughs> going to need all my strength. But I can't do it. I've had exactly that, but I have to get up, because what if they only have only just died and you could, re- you could get them back alive again oh, yeah. in time? So you can't... So you've you got to get out. You've got to spring out of bed, make sure, and then they go. Why you wake me up? <laughs> uh, my dog was sick all over the bed the other day. It was great. She just threw up. It was when it's it's nice when it's your turn, and then all day she was going. I was sick on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> what fun it is having kids, eh? Um, you have used Sting's toilet. I have used Sting's. Tell toilet. me about Sting's toilet. Sting's toilet's really weird. So I was in a play. Uh, called Julius Caesar by Shakespeare. But that's all men in that. You <laughs> couldn't be in that. I was in the all-female production. I was in the uh, original all-female production, right. not in the version that has been filmed where we all got sacked and some other people did it. Oh, really? uh, I was in the original all-female Julius Caesar, yeah. And it was on at the Donmar, 
Actually, I met Patrick Stewart. It was really exciting. Yeah. Har- Dame Harriet Walter introduced me. I said, oh, Pat- I love Patrick Stewart. Can I meet Patrick Stewart? He said, yeah. And, I, and, and so he was being all, like, regal and Shakespearean around everybody. And then she said, this is Danielle. She really loves Star Trek. And he just fucked off. <laughs> he wasn't interested at all. Um, so I was in uh, a production of Julius Caesar, which transferred to New York. And that was quite exciting, being in a play. And it was yeah. in Brooklyn. People go, oh, you're in Broadway. But no, it was in Brooklyn. And um, Sting came to see it and had a party at his house for all of us and some other... Like, I think Trudy Styler was also doing The Seagull at the same time as his wife. Okay. And so she'd had this party for all of the Brits on Broadway and in Brooklyn. <laughs> and, um, and so it was us and the production of The Seagull and Twelfth Night as well. So um, Mark Rylance didn't go to the party, but Stephen Fry did. Oh, and... Um, and he said to me, uh, who do you play? And I said, I play Lepidus. And he started quoting the entire bit. And I went, I've only got four lines, mate. Well, no. Um, <laughs> and so uh, and I needed to use the toilet. Yeah. And I went into Sting's toilet. And everybody was going to me, oh, you have to use Sting's toilet's amazing. You have to use Sting's toilet. I was like, oh, this must be a really great, like a Japanese toilet or something. Maybe it talks. And I went into Sting's toilet. And um, the whole toilet, like this the ceiling and the walls and the floor and the sink and the toilet itself were all bright red <laughs> like every like everything was red yeah. completely red and it was the most frightening toilet <laughs> i've ever been in it it was like going it was like going to the toilet in the shining yeah. it was so weird and like and everybody's going oh it's amazing it's a design masterpiece and i was like it's I don't understand why you would have a red toilet unless your arsehole bled a lot. I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. And the, the toilet paper was red as well. That was the weird thing, So the toilet yeah. paper was also red, and it was all very... How can you tell when you're done? Well, exactly. It just all looks the same, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, and I have a photo on my phone of me in Sting's toilet going... <laughs> Was, yeah, it was really weird. Man. But I feel bad discussing it because he is a real man who let me into his real toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I think and now here you are. I know. I don't want to... I feel ba- Like, he let me into his house. I feel really bad discussing his toilet. What if he heard about the podcast? He does listen to it. Like, <laughs> he always emails me after every show and lets me know how it's gone. <laughs> he'll, be fury, he'll be fuming. But how would you feel if someone... If you well, I do party, know. Rachel Paris from the MASH report. Yeah. Very successful now. She's been on the podcast. Yeah. She's now viral now. Uh, it's all down to me. She came to my house because she was doing a gig with my wife. Yeah. And she used my toilet. Yeah. And she texted her brother and said, I'm on Rich Terring's toilet. So I know exactly how it feels. <laughs> it feels, I feel violated. Yeah, it's, it's how dare personal. you come into my toilet and text people about it if someone... and discuss what it's like just because it's all brown. The whole... <laughs> it wasn't when it started. But... <laughs> My partner will not... He hates toilet brushes. He yeah. won't have a toilet brush. Right. He thinks they're disgusting and weird. Like, yeah. why would you want a brush full of poo in your... Like, next to your toilet? Yeah, the problem with that, though... Yeah, the toilet gets dirty. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll clean I'll clean the toilet. We don't need a toilet brush. I'll clean it with my hands. Never has done. The toilet's horrible. Oh, and now you've got a kid with him. You're stuck with him. Yeah, I know. That's what happens. And also, he's got more money than me. So. Yes. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Why is he? Is he Scottish? He's half Scottish. Is he? Uh, he's, half, he's a Buchanan. A... They had a family castle at one point. Hey. Yeah. God. I know. Well, he's good looking as well. He's good looking, isn't he? He's like posh, but he's also good looking. Yeah, yeah. So it's the best of both well, worlds. But he's only half posh. So his mum's posh, but his dad isn't posh. Okay, his dad's from York, is he? His dad's from. Uh, yeah. Well, I think his dad's from South Shields, and okay. they moved to York. But they um, their family home was on Hope Street in St Andrews, which is where Andrew and Katie lived. Okay. That's how posh they are. Andrew and Katie. Oh, no, Andrew and Katie. And Andrew, uh, William and Katie. Yeah. Be good. Uh, Prince Andrew, is, that's the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> have a secret a life <laughs> with, his, with his nephew's wife. A <laughs> couple of those kids. I mean, that's bad, isn't it? A couple of those kids are... No, that's fine. It's all right. It's all right. No, it'll be okay, because yeah. she's not related yeah, no, to him. No, she's fine. No. That's fine. <laughs> That's, 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 Prince Andrew wouldn't be interested in that because that's, that's, that's acceptable. <laughs> so, you know, what's the point? Um, you don't want a knighthood. <laughs> <laughs> Just beep it. Just beep it.
<laughs> so you were also well. Your first gig is interesting because you were this. I, have I not talked about this? You were an economic researcher at the South Korean Embassy. Yeah. Let's talk about all the news you know about <laughs> economics and you know about South Korea, North Korea. Let's go. They were so when I, I went there in two thousand. I think I got the job in two thousand and three. I went there two thousand three, two thousand and four, and even then they were not that. They didn't hate North Korea in the way I thought they would. Right. They were very much like, oh, oh, our, our, our poor misguided brothers. That was their attitude. So it was never a thing of we hate North Korea right. in, the, in the embassy. I can't speak for all Koreans. <laughs> uh, they call themselves. They, you're not allowed to call them South Koreans. That's not what they. Yeah. It's like the Republic of Korea and the Democratic People's. It's very. Com- you're yeah. not allowed to use North and South. But um, they were very much like, oh, we we love, we can't wait the day, can't wait for the day when we can all do curling together or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is. Them when back we together. can play women's ice hockey as a yeah. one United Nation, yeah. then we'll all be happy again. Then we'll all be happy. So they were pretty chilled about yeah. it. How did you get that job as working as the, did you did you done economics? No, no, I hadn't done economics. Didn't know any Korean. <laughs> didn't know any Korean people. Hadn't ever been to North Korea or South Korea. Oh, no. uh, there was a. It was advertising the Guardian for an economic researcher, and they just wanted someone with a degree. And when I went for the job interview, everybody else was mental. So <laughs> <laughs> they just gave it me. So if you'd stuck, stayed in that job and not, so you did comedy while you were working there. Yeah, that's. I started doing comedy while I was working there. Yeah. Partly because when you work in an embassy, they don't have to give you the same. Um, uh, work laws the, the, the same work laws don't apply right. so they didn't have to give me 20 days paid holiday for example and they didn't have to like they wouldn't have had to have given me maternity pay if I'd have got pregnant or sickness right. or anything like that so in my first year I got nine days holiday and I was like fuck this it's ridiculous <laughs> and when I left I only worked there for about I think it was like less than 18 months and um, when I left the head of admin sat me down and told me what a terrible person I was oh. and how I had a, an awful attitude. <laughs> I know, I was fine. Yeah. So your first gig, was it Russell, was it Russell Brand's gig or Russell Brand was on? He was comparing it. It was at, uh, downstairs what? at the King's Head. All right. Yeah, that was all right. Yeah. It was all right gig. And you did all right? I did, like, I did. I think when I first started, I had some really interesting material and I was a terrible, terrible performer and I wasn't really... So I got loads and loads of heat when I... This is the thing. If anybody is like a new comic and they talk about going to Edinburgh... A friend of mine wants to go to Edinburgh and she hasn't even done stand-up yet. She's an actor. And she's like, right. I'm going to do an hour of stand-up in Edinburgh. What do you reckon? I was like, you haven't got any material yet. And, and I was saying, you d- don't burn your... Because like, the opportunity you get when you first hit the scene is... Like you'll never get that Mac again. So the later you can do that, the more the better you'll be. And I had got loads of heat when I first started, and I was nowhere near good enough to make it work. Like I just I just wasn't good enough to capitalise on it. And it's and it's not even a regret because it's how things worked out. And I didn't get into comedy. I didn't even start doing comedy because I thought it would be a career. It was just a thing that I did. Like, I did some gigs. I loved comedy. I did some gigs. And for some reason, it became my job. It was never a career plan. So when I first started, like, I'd I'd been doing it about eight months when I was runner-up in the BBC New Comedy Awards, and there was no sort of plan to be a comedian. And I was a bit, oh, I don't know. I didn't have a manager or an agent or anything like that, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so... I got all this traction and the Russell Brand thing was part of that like he got me to go and do his gig at the Enterprise in Chalk Farm and I'd do that and that's where I met um, Trevor Locke and Lee Francis and all these like brilliant comedians and I'd I'd be like what am I doing here (laughs) but it's because I had I had weird material and I do I sometimes feel a bit sad that I've lost that that attitude of this isn't even my job so it doesn't matter what I do I feel sad that sometimes you lose that, especially when you go and do a gig and, you know, the promoter's going, well, I'm taking a chance on you because you're a lady. You think, oh, I have to do that slightly bog-standard 20 minutes rather than the 20 minutes that I know might not appeal to everybody but is the 20 minutes that is me as a comic. Yeah, maybe. I'm surprised, no, I was surprised when I read because I I came back to do stand-up about 2004, 2005 and I remember doing gigs with you and I thought you were, you know, really established and been going for ages at that point. So I was was surprised when, you know, you were very good, I think, straight off the bat then. 
Well, because I, you know, I thought you must have been going for four or five years. No, I was. Station. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what happened. It's all about. But I think you know. But you just got to do what you think. Generally, the minute you start, when I came back to stand up, I just, I just, I'd done that. The first time I'd done stand up, I'd really vacillate and gone, "Oh, should I do what I want, or should I do what the club will book me for?" Yeah. And I'd do something in between, and it was usually and it terrible. Work, yeah. You know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it really wouldn't. But it'll be, you know, just. Pick one, I think, and the one you should pick is to do what you want to do. Yeah. And so when I came back to do stand up, I just went, fuck it, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and did, you know, stuff that annoyed people on purpose for ages. But I remember doing a gig in Edinburgh in 2006, and a comic who is quite famous, so I won't name them, said to me afterwards, You will never smash the roof off a gig with that material. And I was like, Well, this is my set. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was really. And you sort of think, Well, should I change it then? Should I do something else? Should I do something more accessible? I remember doing. Um, I did like uh, just a 10 minute slot about five years ago with two comics that had really good fringe runs and I was like oh this would be a really good gig because they're both quite weird and when I did this club gig I think it was the Glee or something and the material they were doing was really quite conventional yeah. and I was like oh, are you meant to have a different set and that was <laughs> the other thing I've like, been going for like 10 years and I didn't realise you're meant to have your Edinburgh set and yeah. then you have the set that earns you money it never occurred to me that yeah you would have these different... Because I'm an artist. So. Yeah, but, but then that's better. Also, anyone who talks about smashing the roof off a gig is a cunt. And yeah. Forget, <laughs> you can forget about it. Because you might, you might do that, but it's not. That's, you know, that sort of says what they're aiming for. And it's a different thing, you know. It's not... You just want well, it's just aiming about... It's, Silence. It's, like, it's aiming about the ego. That's an ego thing. Of being, mm. Oh, I did this, I did that. You know, you might make an audience really laugh. and you might, But also a good gig you're not going to smash the roof off you're going to make people have an amazing time all the way through yeah. and it's not going to get to a point where it explodes and no one can follow no, I it I don't think you meant literally smash oh, the roof yeah. well, in that case he wasn't a, a member of ISIS <laughs> I say he of course it could have been a woman it could have obviously talking wasn't. in that way oh obviously it was <laughs> um, terrific well look I'm just I haven't asked you any emergency questions again people will be very disappointed but Screw those people. I'm better than that. I'm not just a guy who... Go fastestripe.com by this... Sex. I'm not going to ask you the ham was hand. It, what was I'm the talc on. one? Would you rather have a, a tip full of talc? What was it? The talc I'm not going to do that. What you was the talc one? Get to the 2018, Danielle. We're not, we're not living back in 2017 anymore. <laughs> we're not living in December 2017. This is February 2018 now. <laughs> What is the sexiest TV puppet? That's a... Yeah, I have asked that before. What is the sexiest TV puppet? Outcho. What's that from? Eden. What? Eden Outcho. What would you want me to say? Like, Muffin the Mule, Grandad? I want to say what you believe. I'm not <laughs> Do you gonna... think it's Muffin the Mule? I don't know what Outcho is. Out, well, Eden, you know who Outcho is, right? You've got... A, they're all really old. I'm I'm young and I'm down with the cool. I like I like only Rihanna is and everything. Um, I'm gonna have to look. Out chose a cactus. That's not sexy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the. Have you not, do you not know the the pleasure pain thing? Have you? The, no. Ouchy or outcho? Outcho. I'd have thought of all of the comics I know, you'd be the one most into autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> I'm really, I'm very, I'm very vanilla. It's like an angry, it's like a cactus with yeah, hair on cactus. it. Yeah, that. Yeah, sexy cactus. Has that slightly turned you on seeing that picture? <laughs> I mean, look at those guns. Wouldn't it be prickly, though? It was nasty. I mean, he's a puppet, though. Okay. It's like, so it's, it's just like a ribbed penis. Has he got a badge of himself? Is he wearing a badge of himself? He is, yeah. You, you do that, though. <laughs> I like his open mouth, I have to say. That is, that is appealing to me. Sexiest puppet. Okay, good. I've learned, I've discovered a new puppet. That's uh, <laughs> something I didn't think I would do tonight. <laughs> All right, we'll go, we'll go for one more. There was some, was, well, you worked with John Oliver on the, on the, I want to keep calling it the mash report, but it's the milk run. On the milk run, yeah. Yeah. He's great, isn't he? He is great. Are you jealous? I'm not jealous of him. Are you not? No. I'm jealous of him. Are you? I mean, no, I'm thinking, but I think with all the, I'm not, I don't really, as despite everything that this podcast would make you think, yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I think any of the people, so like John and Stuart, yeah. have taken their individual journey and stuck with it and made it really fucking work. And yeah. I think that, as really as any comedian, that should make you go, there's hope, there's hope. That, yeah. And when you look at John, 
Um, like, you know, I would never have pegged him out as being... And I, I, lo- I loved him, but I would never have thought, there's a guy who's going to go to America and yeah. become the biggest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then they, someone took a chance on him and then gave him a chance to do what he does well. And it's amazing. And, yeah. I, and I couldn't ever do anything like that. Absolutely. Like I, I, now, when I look at John Oliver, I don't think of it as being the John Oliver that I know. Right. If you see what I mean? Like, you did yeah. gigs with John Oliver, like, 14 years ago, and that's very different from... He's sort of so brilliant. I can't really equate the two. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> Good. I'll ask you. Let's see what the emergency question generator throws up. How do you spell diarrhea? <laughs> That's the, is that really what you want people asking each other over the Christmas it dinner is, table? It's D A D I A R R H O E A. I still don't believe it. No. <laughs> okay. Sorry. That would cut that out, Ben. <laughs> There's nothing else that's been cut yeah, out of this show. There's nothing left out. in the podcast. <laughs> Can you believe you read this far? <laughs> or are you just? How much did you charge for this book? Like a lot of money. One more go, Ben. We'll see if we can. We'll get there. <laughs> so, I, you know, this book's good. This book, this book has been nominated for a Chortle Award. Has it? I mean, against... I mean, it's so embarrassing. I wrote this, like, in about two days. It's up against all these brilliant... <laughs> I've read all the other books. They're all brilliant. I would say vote for it. It's too late, but I'd love to beat them all just because it would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Webb's heartbreaking tale. Oh. The death of everything. You're up against... Yeah. Imagine if that beats him, how annoyed he'll be. <laughs> And just spell diarrhea. I was going to uh, read out the worst questions from it. It's James Acaster's book. It's the funniest book I've read in like twenty years. Uh, Adam Kay's book. We had Adam Kay on the oh, other week. Yeah, and his book is amazing. Yeah. I want to go on, and I'm just going to accept the award. What is the strangest thing you've ever had up your anal canal? That is what. I'm, <laughs> that is what. That beat you. That beat you, Robert Webb. Oh, I've lost it. I've fucking lost it. I thought you would lose it because you're you've, you're only 13 weeks into being a mother. Yeah, and 13 I'm, weeks and nearly died. Got, yeah. Did you nearly die having your baby? <sighs> well, it was, it was very uncomfortable on the chairs. <laughs> and, uh, I tried to sleep on the chairs and it yeah. was impossible. Oh, I just it must think, have been I know, hard. but Kate had a bed. <laughs> just lying all the way. Ah. Oh. No. The that's... little thing just came. It came out of that. It's like pop. Exactly like my, my partner, my boyfriend. He yeah. was like, oh, this bed's so uncomfortable. It's like, oh, no. I just, and 50 well, th- hours. I was 50 hours. I know, but I've got to drive her home the next day. I've got to be awake and alert to look after them all. Think of the dads. <laughs> they could just have a chair that goes back a bit so you could go, oh. They, 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 they could just have these chairs. I could sleep on it. Oh. The legs come out on the chairs. I, um, I nearly bled to death on the operating table when I had my C-section. And... Um, the worst thing is, because you're awake, you can hear them talking about how you're bleeding to death. They don't even do a code, like, on the tube. <laughs> like, <laughs> you think they'd have a code, wouldn't they? Doctor blood is coming out of the <laughs> vagina. Yeah. <laughs> a bit that sort too of quickly. <laughs> can Mr. Gorse come to the uterus area? None of that. Yeah. It's, well, it's a terrifying thing, to, you know, and you, you, but that's an awe, you know, an awe-inspiring, terrible thing to go through. Yeah, I've had worse gigs. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Honestly, my midwife said, "Do you want me to get you any trauma counselling?" Because it was a like a like I say, fifty hours, nearly bled to death, um, went into shock. Do you want me to get you trauma counselling? And I was like, I, I honestly feel worse about the time I got booed off at the comedy cafe. <laughs> I really did. It was a worse experience. <laughs> that's the great thing about being a stand-up and, comedian and was there a part of your brain going I can write a show about this this <laughs> is going to be a great routine if I survive this <laughs> if we both survive this it's going to be fine yeah when I stop dry heaving yeah <laughs> no I didn't actually because no. I thought you know I'll just get told off by the list for writing about being a woman <laughs> uh, the time I nearly die is not as exciting as oh my nan with some break beats <laughs> There's a sh- I went to see a show in the fr- <laughs> I went to see a show at the Fringe and it was just like 50 minutes of bog standard stand up white guy stand up and then 
but my nan's dead. And then a break beat over the top of it as well. <laughs> break beat over the top of me bleeding to death on a table, maybe, as the coder to the show. I think you should do it. I think it would work. Never um, mention it, never mention it. And then just a picture of my... <laughs> <laughs> rancid uterus being suctioned clean <laughs> luckily I think uh, luckily I think Ben probably stopped recording this about two hours ago <laughs> we'll have got the intro <laughs> we'll have got like one story in the middle I think was okay you worked with that girl off uh, called the midwife yeah, yeah yeah she was nice wasn't she she was nice uh, <laughs> that's it that's going to be it that's going to be the podcast what was she like in real life she's really lovely yeah she did seem lovely but I she did work with me before she got famous so. yeah yeah. well I think you made her famous the no, did made her famous genuinely did she owes me the... I went to her wedding the bottles of Heineken were eight pounds at a wedding <laughs> yeah I know fuck that right yeah yeah they got divorced it's fine <laughs> <laughs> They got divorced because the whole thing was a scam to make money off the Heineken. <laughs> got those for a quid at the supermarket, a seven quid each, bang. Split that, let's go. Um, <laughs> no idea how Ben's going to get through this. He's got a, couple, got a couple of weeks to put it together. Uh, and uh, Chris Evans got that one, of course, as well, does the uh, video. So um, I've got to go to Hertfordshire now. So uh, thanks for... I've got to go get, catch my train. So thank you for coming in. <laughs> Rich Tanks, let's spread the podcast with me, Rich Tang, and my guest, Danielle Ward. You can hear her on the Do the Right Thing podcast. Just Google that, you'll find her. Uh, the music is by Pest. Thank you also to everyone at Go Fast Stripe, everyone at Let's Square Theatre, everyone at Rich Comedy Guy, and just everyone, all my friends from school, and everyone, my mum and dad, everyone who knows me. This was produced by Ben Walker. It's Go Fast Stripe, Sky Potato, Fuzz Production, for the internet. 